Welcome to your favorite YouTube channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Today we're going to be talking about the, the Neil Gaiman Masterclass. Is it worth it? But first, we have to let you guys know that we are in part brought to you by the Patreon and the King Kayfabers on the Patreon hanging out with us right now in this live stream recording session. They get access to all of our videos before anybody else and it mitigates the kayfabe effect. Channel's gotten reasonably popular. We talk about a comic, sells out really quickly on uh, the aftermarket, or if it doesn't, becomes very expensive to the person who isn't in on, uh, on the ground floor. We are a daily YouTube channel, and we have more than 1,500 videos in our filmography as we speak, uh, which is to say that we might have talked about some of your favorite comics. Give the channel a search. Go on the, micro the magnifying glass on the front page of uh, the kayfabe youtube channel type in the titles of your favorite comics check out those episodes without further ado jimmy uh we did an episode uh where we visited the alan moore mass bbc maestro course and gave our opinions on that uh the neil gaiman Masterclass came out first so i thought it would be a good idea to chat that one up a bit yes my first impression neil gaiman is really good at articulating sort of his process and giving examples for each of those processes, which makes it easy to listen to, easy to understand, hopefully easy to apply in our own work. But I found the just listening to it. Uh, I was doing some other stuff, looking for materials, organizing for uh, recording with, with you and uh, digging through sketchbooks. So like I had it playing in the background and was very impressed by how compelling it was. Totally. At the, at the very beginning of the conversation, it's about four and a half hours of audio or video uh, and audio that you're getting from from gaming, which is a pretty sizable amount, it's nearly an audiobook's uh, length of of uh, material straight from his from you know his his lips to your ears. Uh, at the very beginning, he talked about uh, he kind of does a dalliance at Bard College to uh, you know extol some of his his uh, his ideas and thoughts, but the academic setting, the classic academic setting, is. Uh, small you know it's 25 people at a clip and i'm sure they're fighting to get in there so uh his his reason for participating in the master class is to have that broader audience uh the cool thing about the gaming piece and the the uh alan moore piece is these guys you have to you have to know your lane and and you got to know that the comic people are going to be want wanting something dedicated so each has the dedicated comic book uh chapter right and uh there's you know, PDFs involved and, 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 and assignments uh, that are really uh, beautifully laid out and things that, that go along with uh, the game, game and master, master class. Uh, off the top of the bat, I would say, I would say, sure, yeah, it's, it's totally worth it. Uh, as, as a maker of things, I need some audio in the background and I'm on uh, the constant hunt for, for inspiration. Uh, so that, that is, that is uh, sort of what I get out of it. Um, these things are not an end-all be-all it's not it's not going to make you a great writer and uh off the bat i think i even said so in the uh alan moore piece and and it you need to hear it a lot of times uh, especially if you're an enterprising creator out there and it's that uh, you don't want to become addicted to the how-to books uh that's not going to do anything right for you you gotta apply you gotta make some bad work you gotta just put some shit out there, leave it to the fates, and uh, receive what comes back and develop a thick skin. This video is brought to you by the books that we make. 
Coming out in November, I have Street Angel, Princess of Poverty from Image Comics. This collects all of the Street Angel comics that are not in Street Angel, Deadly Scroll Alive, also available from Image Comics. I've also been self-publishing True Crime Funnies you can buy on my website, jimrug.com. You can also get these from my Patreon, patreon.com slash jimrug, where you can find 1986 and BW zines as... Hulk Grand Design is my contribution to the Grand Design series from Marvel Comics. These are going out of print, so pick this up if your comic shop still has one and you haven't added it to your shelf yet. Ed's latest, Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus. 500 plus pages of all the Hip Hop Family Tree comics, plus 140 bonus pages. X-Men Grand Design collects Ed's three X-Men Grand Design volumes in one easy-to-find trade paperback because several of those original volumes are out of print. And Red Room, Anti-Social Network and Trigger Warnings, both available now with a third volume, Crypto Killers, coming in January. And now back to our video. Yes, I agree with all of that. I would say uh, it reminds me a little bit of like DVD commentary in some ways because he uses so many of his own examples that I actually think if you were just a fan of Neil Gaiman and you weren't a writer, this might still be a very enjoyable thing to uh, totally to to go through and to probably revisit a couple of times. Like I've been through it twice now, right? And uh, may go through it again relatively soon. But it's interesting, Ed, because like we're in a similar position in that like we're making stuff. So there's a takeaway from like there's one thing specific that I plan to do this week, possibly tomorrow from this course, which fantastic, you know, like that's money well spent for me. But I do think. It would work for somebody that has no aspirations to write and is never going to attempt to write anything. You know, I think there's some entertainment value there. But I also wonder if you're if you're new, if you're 14 and you love a couple of game and things that you've read and you want to be a writer, it might work for a new a new person because there is some advice for someone who would be just starting out. Like you talk about the bad, get the bad writing out of the way. Like you got to get those reps in. Um, he says it a few times. You know, get the bad words out. Just right. just write. You know, get through it. Write the next thing that's bad. Don't spend too much time worrying about its quality while you're in that process of writing it. Do the actual work of writing and getting those bad words out, which I think is advice for a newcomer. So it's yeah. possible that, you know, maybe you are young and you're aspiring to write. Maybe it works for them, too. You know, I'm certainly looking at it through the eyes of trying to make the story I'm working on better as opposed to like, how do I start this? But maybe it would work for a young writer. Yeah, there are uh, several of these master classes that, that I put on as uh, as background noise every once in a while. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been through this game in peace, to be honest. It's just playing it like a movie uh, mm -hmm. in the background, uh, you know, a season of a TV show kind of, kind of thing. I've done the, the Alan Moore one and then uh, two other ones that I really enjoy in terms of writing. Are, uh, it's the David Mamet and the uh, Aaron Sorkin. There's through lines between all of these. Right. And that that is one of the major ones. Aaron Sorkin talks about, you know, the reason why you uh, you go to college is it gives you four years to, to get that garbage writing out of out of your system. And, and then, you know, you could go off and and become a pro after that, after you uh, studiously uh, do that sort of shit and get get have built in criticism that's in the model uh, that, that you're sort of like living in. So the, the through lines are, are, are pretty sweet. Uh, and that applies to like you hear cartoonists say it too. Like you got to draw two thousand bad pages, right. you know. So that that was a note I made when I heard Gaiman saying it. Um, I think it's got to be true of anything. Like Absolutely. it's a craft. Like you just there's no shortcut. We've said it a million times on this channel. You really just have to put in that time. You have to get the bad out. Now another uh, sort of um, similarity between Gaiman more uh, well. First off, famously, you no know, Gaiman 
uh, says that he learned how to write comic scripts from Alan Moore. We know that Alan Moore does thumbnails. Uh, in the dedicated chapter about comics, Neil Gaiman does thumbnails. They show the, they show the thumbnails. They, they choose Midsummer's Night's Dream uh, story I issue of, uh, of Sandman, the one that won awards. Charles Vesh drew it, ultimately. And uh, Gaiman, you know, he makes, he makes like a dummy. You know, he takes type and paper and does the, uh, the, the, the Eric Larson comics, you know, takes, you know, 11 pieces of paper or, or you know, whatever, divided by four, uh, folds it in half. And okay, on this page, so that he has some command over page turns and reveals, and he talks about that. He mentions that uh, in, in the, the, the Preludes and Nocturnes issue, maybe six or seven, where Sandman versus John D, and, and John D has the ruby and destroys the ruby. And then it's the big reveal the, where Sandman's power is un, unleashed. And uh, you, you, know, you turn the page and there's the big reveal where, where John D's standing on, on the hand. Uh, when it was paginated in the uh, trade paperback, they wanted to keep that same sequence and they had to draw a fresh page in there. Uh, it was like that little John D that's in the midst of all that white. That's a fresh page that was put in there. And from my own experience uh, with X-Men Grand Design, like they had to fight for that page to some extent because you get the whole rate uh, for, for something. Like the letterer got paid on that page that has nothing. And, you know, Mike Drindenberg, who drew this figure this big, got his whole rate for that. And that has to go up the line. You know, Karen Berger has to ask somebody. And then... They have to ask somebody and then it goes to Paul Levitz or Jeanette Kahn and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let that happen. That's the most Kafka-esque absurdity to think about when you consider like how many, vol how many printings has right. that sold? And we're going to argue over <laughs> right. know, some, some 100, 150 bucks page rate or <laughs> to something. Totally. Uh, so, so, uh, Boy, that's comics in a nutshell in a lot of ways. It was, it was cool. Like he was <laughs> able to, uh, he was able to you know, show you, I make this uh, thumbnail. It lets me know what could be in the page. And I would say for the enterprising comic writer, this part is crucial for them to visit because every single artist that I know that has worked with a new comics writer has the exact same complaints about this motherfucker wants way too much to happen on one panel or one page. So uh, Gaiman gives you some good game on how to, to manage that sort of thing. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think it, it, it makes sense to me uh, as somebody making comics, but yes, definitely a writer. And he even talks about some of the strategies of like he's writing dialogue, but it's not necessarily dialogue that's going to be in the script. It's more of like, what is actually, what do I need to communicate here? It's still a sketch. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a yeah, verbal right. sketch. Right. Yeah, I, I love that part. I think it's such a powerful tool that he's laying out there. And you're right. I did three graphic novels that were the first time the person wrote a comic. And what would happen is exactly what you said. It would be like panels are, you can almost think of them as a paused moment. It's a moment, you know, right. like something happens and then the next panel, some, the reaction to that maybe. And I would get stuff where it was like three things would happen. Like this would happen, this person would react and then there'd be like the, the reaction again. And it's like, if, if you drew that, you would see like, oh, you can't open the door, enter the room and close the door behind you. That's not one panel. That's three panels. Right. So very useful and very useful in the sense of like you have a very real like it's a canvas. It's a, yeah. it's you have width and height. That's what you have to work with. And there's only so much space. And by putting it down on a paper, a dummy like that, 
it shows you very clearly how much space there is, what, what space things take. Really great. Yeah, I love that tool. And again, explains it so clearly because a lot of people use some version of this. Doing thumbnails, I've been hearing about thumbnails since before I tried drawing my first comic. He explains very clearly how he uses them. And I think that's how almost everybody could probably use them. There's the one kind of flip piece that uh, he, he's been known to, if you watched his, his public talks and stuff, it gets opened up for Q&A, and the first question is always, where, where do you get your ideas? Mm -hmm. So he talks about that piece, and he's actually has like very thoughtful ideas about that part, about like where do you get your ideas? And he, and he because he went to his kid's school, and it was a little kid that asked, he couldn't diss a little kid. And when he talks about the idea of confluence, where you have maybe these two disparate ideas, and then you mash them together in, into a confluence, and then you could have, you know, it's maybe built in conflict, you could, you could have your your story take place. And I was just, this is just kind of an aside. I was thinking about that concept because, because like Harlan Ellison like has his version, like writers have their version of dissing that term. Uh, but if you listen to DVD commentaries, every Hollywood screenwriter and directors, they have such clear ideas and they can always talk about where these ideas come from, specifically to to the, the piece that you're, watching on the screen mm -hmm. and i thought that that was like an interesting aside because like like artsy fartsy novelists right right like they are aloof with that but the hollywood guys and i bet you it's just because it's such an expensive enterprise that kind of like in our kelly jones talk where the editors were asking him about his compositions and shit and they just wanted to hear that he had like some thoughts in mind i bet like producers need to have an answer of why you need to travel and bring a crew to siberia or something you know yes. so so like that's just that's just in the side uh he dwells on this a lot because he, he comes at it from different angles this idea of ideas and mm -hmm. how these where these ideas come from and it, it's almost a through line through his whole uh th this whole class i think because it, it comes up in different chapters and i would make notes about different things of like oh yeah that that makes total sense and it is all sort of a where do ideas come from they come from a million places so it's being open to a lot of things um one, one thing was considering your favorites critically is a right. way to sort of like, it's making your brain maybe step out of its normal pattern. Yes. And when that happens, that's when creativity happens. That's where ideas come from. So there's a lot of ways to trigger that. And he really touches on several of those ways throughout the course. You know, a lot of that is cartoonist kayfabe. Like w when he's talking about going to his first writer's workshops and up until that point when he's reading something, because uh, that's what they would do. They they would they would uh, they would talk about a novel. It would be like you know a novel of the week kind of thing. Um, he would read something and be like, oh yeah, it's good. And uh, he's in this thing with other published writers, people who 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 are in active readers, like engaged readers, and they're talking about construction and all that kind of shit. So that's like feedback that we get on the channel quite often is like never looked at it this way never thought about that you guys know this that whatever so like so like for comics cartoonist kayfabe is is all you need when it comes to, to that sort of stuff man he gives good uh kind of assignments uh throughout the conversation and one of them is in us uh, you know short story deconstruction so so he starts you off small and uh it, focuses a lot of energy on the on the short story uh, i love that many chapters and he he said that like uh some writer that he dug i forget the name um described that a short story is the last chapter of a novel that you'll never write 
uh, these characters are established. They have had whole lives already. And now you're, you're, you know, enjoying like the, the sort of the big moment. And he, and he reads several, several of his works. He reads the, the Chris Kringle joint. He reads the one with the genie in the bottle. And uh, these are quick reads, you know, it's 10 minutes of, of him reading one of his stories. Basically, he gave us he gave us tickets to his show in Pittsburgh. He's playing the hits like all the stuff that he read to us downtown is in this course. It did cross my mind like this course is a is great self promo. Oh, totally. It's it's, uh, it's it's you know, chances are you're not you're not picking this course up if you're not familiar with Gaiman's work. But it is like very self promo. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I have no problem with that at all. You know, you can certainly speak to your own work more intimately than you could speculating on other examples. And he tells talks about his bravery of getting stung by yellow jackets and shit like yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> He's the hero of the score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, talk about the short story. And then he because he's he's smart you could tell that he deals with people who at every kind of level of of skill uh has come up to him and you know that very like the mo majority are people that he knows you know and i know will never write anything like i want to be a writer and it's just the most basic thing so he starts you off small and and uh he's like okay you're starting for an idea for a short story Take a look at something that exists and look at it with fresh eyes. He lays out the Snow White thing. What is Snow White? It's it's a necrophilic prince with like what? Like a like a like a like a vampire girl? Like, you know, the queen is the hero of this thing for trying to put this girl down. Like it's it's a it's a, it's a weird story. And he has a couple more examples like that. Uh, that spoke to me directly because these are the it's the British invasion. You know, these are the yes. guys who looked at our American superheroes with fresh eyes and applied a different level of thought and really changed the game in the States when it comes to comics. So, uh, so I thought that that was like a very uh, insightful little piece uh, to the conversation. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good one. Um, he also has a chapter on genre. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting because he talks about mediums versus genre. Right. Which I think people mess up a lot. And, and you know who, <laughs> who kills me is Jim Ross. He refers to professional wrestling as a genre. Mm. And in my head, it's like, no, what are you talking about? And I try to justify it. And I think like, it's a genre of television. Television wrestling is a television show. So you could sort of make that a genre of television show. A genre of wrestling would be Lucha Libre or something. Uh, yeah. Death matches. Death matches. Exactly right. Yeah. There, there are these elements within, but he does a really good job of sort of like talking about medium because he then that segues into comic books right. and thinking about like, well, how's your story in these different media? And one of the analogies he uses to illustrate this is comparing, it's an academic paper. I can't remember the author, but it's comparing musicals to pornography. Right. And again, like very articulate, but also very, very thoughtful of what you want to command attention let's do a comparison between musicals and pornography as in your writing class. Yeah. You know, so again, very entertaining, but also very purposeful. Like it's a clear illustration of this idea of genre. And he goes on then to talk about genre versus fiction and the idea of like, there are rules and expectations in genre. You kind of need to know them if that's the way you're working. Whereas fiction has a lot more creative freedom in certain ways. So if you're a young writer, maybe you play with fiction. It allows you to be, uh, you know, to go in some strange directions and, and really, I don't want to say experiment, but just gain that value of 
turning out all the bad words. So it's pretty interesting. I, the, the genre, if you isolated the genre chapter right. on its own, I love genre. Yeah. I'm fascinated by it. And I think he really brings a lot to the conversation. Yeah, it's 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 good because he does both things. So so like that's the way to hook you by talking, you know, say the word pornography and, and in relation to musicals and and then he gets into into why that is. But then he breaks it down even even subtler where it's like I, I forget exactly how he says it, but he's like you can have an important story. Maybe it could be a story about like how the banking system worked in the 1870s, but in in the west in california but it's not a cowboy right. story and he and he breaks both of those down to let you know that if you're selling it as one thing or the other how you're going to be disappointing your audience if you don't kind of follow some yes. rules it's another through line uh, between all of the uh master classes and stuff that that i enjoy is this idea of like even with avant-garde there's a rule set and the these writers they would describe that like you know the beauty of a game is the rules you can't pull out a knife and stab somebody in the throat because they have a football and then you want that like <laughs> there 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 is a set of rules and that's the beauty and that's the elegance of the thing and and we like to think that within an art form or medium that uh you could be lawless but even the most avant-garde uh cartoonists to some extent like they have some some knowledge of the trappings of of the medium or genre so that they can pervert it to their own uses pretty cool yes very it, much it, it brings it, there's a lot of food for thought when it comes to uh, this stuff do you think the knowledge of this material this is outside game and yeah although he's an example of it do you think that this is just you learn it because you you love the creative process, the writing, the storytelling. I feel like we're familiar with this. I don't feel like I learned it in a class. Yeah, and I think it's a, through application. It's it's literally the stuff. I, I bristle very much at, at the academic approach. And these master classes are built for me in as much as like, I do not want to hear from some academic book learning person about how to write something. Let me talk to a guy who is consistently on that New York Times bestseller list that has a giant fan base and all like, like I need to know his information. That's the, the master classes are set up David Lynch master class. And like, like it's all the best people of their chosen fields. So these things are set up for me. And I do think that it, uh, it's, it's, it's what makes Scott McCloud understanding comics. Great is that, uh, he clearly, was a user of the medium of the form got thousands of pages under his belt and was able to articulate on paper the stuff that we kind of know like as a maker you kind of know it on an intuitive sense but it's uh artists are emotional man it's, it's like from the heart kind of kind of stuff from the gut but he's able to articulate it scientifically put it down there and, and that's what gaiman's able to do with this part uh maybe like a Tarantino or somebody couldn't like articulate the hows and the whys for why he chose to do this thing. Intuitive pattern recognition from all the flicks he watched, whatever. But like Gaiman, because he is a wordsmith, you know, we've covered a lot of his words. We, we've, we've, we've orated some of his words from, from some of his uh, depositions and things. So he knows how to, how to, how to, how to weave the words in order to make things happen. So it's, uh, you know, it's not unlike, uh, there, there's that great Ted talk that Jill Bolte Taylor's her name. She's a neuroscientist 
and she had a stroke and she could talk about exactly the things that she experienced from the point of view of a neuroscientist about what it's like yes. having a stroke. I don't know how you remembered her name. I'll I never know forget this TED talk, it. but uh, I don't know her name. It's, it's the TED talk that made me learn what TED talks are. Right. Like, like that's the first TED talk as far as, far as I'm concerned. Uh, can we wrap up, Jimmy, with the rules of, of, of writing? Maybe, maybe uh, you got a couple of big points you want to hit before we get to... Uh... I do have one, but it may fit into the rules of writing here. So so hit those, and, and if, if, that, if it doesn't cover it, I, I'll cool wrap this up quickly so uh these are some rules that that he acquired over the years and then he added added a couple jimmy and i think we could speak to, to each one of them so so uh this is the new game and writing master class so for it could be applied to all media probably any creative pursuit mm -hmm. uh rule one write. you want to make comics make comics uh as a kid as a young kid going to uh, show my samples off uh the marvel guys would be like okay you need to work on this or you need to work on this the Mike Allreds, the Matt Wagners would be like, show me a comic. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who make comics are like, show me a comic. The guys who draw comics are like, your drapery is not sound. Uh, two, most important, another through line through probably every masterclass that exists. Finish what you write. Make a comic. You know what's funny is, is I've heard so many cartoonists say both of these things. Sure. Yeah, you got you got to finish the thing, it, and and he illustrates it like you learn so much more by finishing something that might not be that great. First off, you're not setting out to make something not great. You're doing your best. You 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 learn so much more doing that than writing three pages of unfinished perfection. Yes, uh, I heard uh, cartoonists explain this and it was in terms of I was looking at a sketchbook mm -hmm. I'm like oh man this stuff's beautiful you know he's a great artist right so the chance to flip through a sketchbook amazing and I uh, had him on a podcast it was Farrell Dalrymple and ask I would ask everybody like what was their advice for somebody you know starting out or whatever and his thing was finish the drawing you know and, and the interesting thing in a sketchbook is sometimes you started drawing over on the side here how are you gonna wrap that up it was such a great problem solve especially if you make comics because we're often stuck by panels so like, how do you make that into a good looking composition? And I think it's something everybody, I would guess almost everybody watching here has scribbled in the margins of their notebooks, on a phone call, whatever, absentmindedly during a boring class. You can learn a lot from comp about composition by finish that sketch. Totally. And of course, finish the comic, finish the story, finish the writing. But uh, that finish thing is a good piece of advice because it, it is like, how do you get out of this position? You know, when you stop working is whenever you go, I don't know what to do next, I'm stuck. So if you force yourself through that, talk about a skill that you can apply to everything. Right. And, and, and uh, specifically when it comes to like writing or we'll say story, story media, uh, Mamet, Mamet uh, will say that, uh, you know, everybody can write a, a, a super good, compelling first act. Mm -hmm. uh, and he illustrates in his conversation that uh, if you uh, are stuck, fantastic, because that the the viewer doesn't know where it's going either yeah so now you this is where you become a writer this is where you have to like figure the thing out you know i'm doing i'm doing the uh, the daily strips right and i'm got over a hundred now so uh at about 80 of them i've injected enough like little bits that i could start connecting things and and uh you know adding more to the stew but now there are like little pieces and it could be as simple as just a phrase or some somebody mentioned, you know, their cousin or something in passing. Well, maybe I could 
maybe that cousin's the reason why something is going down. You right. know, like you could keep your eyes on that and you could keep keep adding to the Katamari Damashi bowl. Well, I, I cut you off. It's perfect. I said, you know, maybe we'd hit this note in this. And uh, the note that I had is caring about what happens next is the writer. You know, when you get to that point and you're not sure what happens next, great. Same, the audience doesn't know what happens next, but you need to care about that part. Right. And one of Gaiman's advice is, what do the characters want? You know, when you hit these, like, not sure where to go here, it's exactly what you said about your comic strip. It's where it's like, dig into what's what you've done so far. His advice, one of them was, reread what you've written so far. Right. Because chances are the answer's there. And that came out again and again in that writing class that we took. I remember being impressed by that, where it's like, oh, you've already written the answer. You just need to go back with your fresh eyes and look at it. So I, I think that's really a good piece. And he even says it whenever uh, the comics chapter, he talks about Karen Berger giving him a piece of uh, critical advice on Sandman 19, the Midsummer Night night's dream and her thing was i don't know what the why do i care about this right and it's such a good question to ask like i taught at sva for 10 years and it was a story class where the students would write they generate an original story yeah and that was often the question i would have it's like i get it you care because you're paying tuition or you know more about this than i do why do i care as right. a reader and in relation to to this specific thing neil gaiman himself went to an open air play of Shakespeare, Midsummer's Night's Dream, wanted to make a comic about it. And His so, idea came from seeing that play and watching in the course of the play go from daytime to nighttime. And it was almost like setting is what just captivated him in this. And it's the dream and all that stuff. So now you have this thing, but that is no plot. That's no plot. That's that's uh, masturbation. That's that's self-indulgence. So Karen Berger like asked the question and then he wove a very heartbreaking narrative out of that. Yes. So I, I think that's a, that's a great thing to keep in mind that finish it because usually that sticking point is the moment. It's where you can become a, you know, you can, you can go to that next level if you figure out how to work through that. Absolutely, man. Uh, so rule three, this is very important, man. Uh, send to publishers. And uh, he is open-minded about that. It doesn't mean print publishers. He talks about websites uh, that, that are starving for, for, for content. Uh, you know, send it to places where the thing can be seen. And I would suggest that even something as simple as your, your uh, social media is, is, is a publishing venue. And uh, the crowd of public opinion, the court of public opinion could, uh, could make or break you. Like I, I think about in relation to my own stuff, like when I had that piece of real estate on that website, boingboing.net, I, for, for three months, uh, for 12 pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Like for three months I was putting strips up there and they would have nominal success. And, uh, my version of success is like, who's sharing it, who's commenting, how many people. And then I put up hip hop family tree and it's a thousand X, you know, in the course one day changed my life, changed my whole life, took me out of abject poverty change the whole course of my entire life. So your social media could do that. Uh, you, you put something up on your, up on the gram and uh, it gets your hundred likes or whatever. You can put something up there that, that could get a million. And then the algorithm fucking now loves you is sending you to more people. Now you're acquiring a big ass audience. So now you gotta not have that sophomore jinx or that sophomore curse. You gotta do, you got this, this audience that you've now cultivated Keep going. Yeah, it's it's a that's a really good point um, because that's ultimately what you're aiming for. I always say like you're not just building the skills and the craft; like you're also building that audience because it doesn't come overnight. It's not like once you think you have the perfect story that suddenly the audience is there. Like you kind of gotta 
you build them together. Right. <laughs> I yeah. like I like that a lot of putting it in front of people. Yeah, and and uh, you know it's. I, I I think that is the professional uh, thing thing to do. It's 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 kind of it's a difference between like you know the Ramones and the Clash or something though. Or like the Clash was influenced by the Ramones for for doing the work, and and the Ramones were like, you don't have to be perfect, just do it. And then they did, and then you know they started to do their thing. That goes into part four, by the way. Well, it, the last piece I have on the putting it in front of people is it may not even be an audience that you're building. It may be the agent that really connects with the work that you're doing, your voice. You know, it can be a lot of things. Like that can come back positively in a lot of ways. And it, hey, some of the negative that comes back too can be an overall positive. You know, it can be a learning experience even when it doesn't work the way you want it to the first time. Because usually it's not going to work the way you want it to the first time. Absolutely, man. I Rule number four, very, very important and you could tell that that gaming has, ta has talked to a lot of uh, kids, man, a lot of a lot of like sort of rank kind of amateurs. Number four is refrain from rewriting, uh, and that is a very very nice British way of saying don't polish a turd. You got to do your first work, and uh, chances are, you know fucking virtuoso, you know genius, you know you're 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 average at best. So what? Do another do another piece after. Like take that energy that you would apply to rewriting writing to try to make this perfect uh, tome. Just do the second one. Then do the third one. Yeah, I, I, I think this relates to number two. Finish it. Because in comics it right. may be I'm redrawing this panel or I'm redrawing this page over and over until I just can't even think about this anymore. And what have I done? Page two, seven times. We could you name know, like, Finish the, the draft. Yeah, and 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 this this is very important for certainly people in our me chosen medium of comics to hear because uh, one similarity between uh, all of the best people in comics that, that that I've ever known is a little bit of compulsion, a little bit of OCD. You got to get it under control, and uh, I'm sure you and I could go one for one naming names of people who spun spin those wheels into oblivion and uh, and we just don't see their work anymore because they just f psychologically fuck themselves so refrain from rewriting uh polish like that's not to say you don't polish something you know you do a couple of drafts stephen king's on writing he talks about he does two drafts and what he calls a polish that's not really rewriting that's tying uh, that's that's a uh, you know shoring up the uh the 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 ship um, yeah, that's not that's not a complete rewrite. Five, uh, when it comes back, because it inevitably will, send it out again. And this one spoke so close to me because it's 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 literally how my comic book career got started. Uh, I did like a five pager on my own time while I was working at the call center. I did a four pager, and I sent them to the anthologies of the day, the last days of zero zero and Top Shelf Anthology, and the Drawn and Quarterly Anthology, and then Little Woods would spring up Blood Orange, or, uh, you know, the Little Ones would spring up the SPX Anthologies, and uh, routinely get rejected. Uh, but I worked hard on these strips, and what am I going to do? Because Joey Jerkoff over here, who has a day job but gets to edit a fucking anthology, says no, like, my shit is no good. Nah, man, I'll either uh, make my own mini comics. So like you get enough to, to put something together that you could take to a convention. I chose to send my works for some feedback to cartoonists that I liked. And that included Harvey Picar, 
who gave me a job. So it might not be good to Joey Jerkoff, who has a day job, works in a cubicle, but got a chance to edit some anthology once. Uh, might not have worked there, but it worked for the guy that is coming hot off of a Hollywood movie who's getting inundated with book offers and needs to find somebody who will draw it for $100 a page. Yeah, and there, there are a million versions of this, too. It might not even be that Joey Jerkoff didn't like it. It might be that Joey Jerkoff didn't even see it. Yeah. Um, I knew a guy when I started Street Angel at SLG. It was another guy who was being published by them, New, new Comics. So we were, you know how you do the tour together. And he told a story about he had sent it to SLG, didn't hear anything, self-published it, ran into them at a show, and they said, we love this book. You ought to, we, we'll, we'll publish this. And he's like, I sent it to you. Right. Things happen. That they, happened. They, they didn't see it, or who knows? Maybe they saw it at a Friday afternoon for a minute while they were having the sky was falling in some other direction. You just don't know. So, right. like, you can't take it personally, and you just keep doing it. Is is absolutely yeah, yeah. That that happened with WYSIWYG, by the way. Uh, the guys at Fantagraphics were like, they hit me up after it was announced from Top Shelf, and they're like, "You didn't get our email," and I'm like, "You sent no email." Uh, so. Anyhow, all right, uh, the sixth and final piece, man, of uh, this little s rule set that uh, Gaiman clearly uh, illustrates in his masterclass. While all that stuff is going on and you're sending your work out and you're resending it out, you got to start the next thing. You got to start putting together the, the next piece. You don't sit there uh, putting all your eggs in one basket, waiting for that one venue, Esquire magazine or somebody to like, get back in touch with you and then you'll send it out to another one and then another one. Nah, dude, we're going spam, spam that shit out and fuck those people, man. Go work on the next shit so that when they come back, the first, the first real hints that you're onto something, uh, the feedback that you get is wishy-washy in that way where it's like, you know, you might have something kid, send us your next thing. And if you have something in the chamber, it proves a lot professionally. It proves that you could hit some marks. It proves that you're not uh, just a one hit wonder. It proves that you're serious. Uh, if the second thing reads better, they might be able to invest a little bit more into you a little bit early. I, I really do feel like the medium of comics, because we're gonna, this cartoonist kayfabe, I do really feel like that the medium of comics is probably the last mass, mass media where the publishers uh, will invest in people a little bit. Uh, you know, the the famous uh, scenario in the music biz was uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen, E Street Band. Uh, first two albums, dog shit, didn't do anything. And then the third album was the one that put them over. The music industry is not investing three albums. They might not invest three songs into you. They want you to prove on your own SoundClouds and shit that you are somebody before they put one cent into you. Uh, the medium of comics is different and uh, there is opportunity there to be a complete nobody and to really charm the pants off of the editors and publishers to get the opportunity. And they might put it out and it might not do uh, exactly what they were hoping for or uh, that might just be you shaking hands with the uh, retailers basically saying like, I'm a new guy in town, I have this comic, you gave it a shot. The shop owners don't have zillions of dollars to be thrown around to an unproven quantity, but they know your name now. You put out the next piece after that, you build up bigger. It's just like when you get started in the game, even self-publishing and you go to your convention 
uh, for the first time. You sell a couple. You can sell, sell a little bit of stuff, man. You might even be in the red still by the time that the show ends. Probably. Go to the next the next year. You get a table at the same spot. I always advise, don't go home with any of your comics uh, that, that first time. You trade to everybody. You give those comics away to... You sell what you can. And on Sunday, you introduce yourself to other uh, cartoonists. And that might create some opportunity with anthologies and things like that. The next year... Maybe you're still in the red, but a little bit less. Eventually, you have your audience, but there's a tenacity that's required. And, uh, you know, that's personal investment and that's going to be your own capital investment for a little while. But uh, do you believe in yourself? Do, do you really think you got it? Then put your fucking money where your mouth is. Great advice. That's the uh, that's the lessons there. Uh, so, you know, and that's pulled directly from from that conversation. Now, uh, is it going to make a shit writer a better writer? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That the, like uh, that that responsibility is yours uh, and your and yours alone. Will it make a good writer better? I think so. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to judge if you're you know depending on what position you're in how yeah. this is going to land. But I do think there's stuff for people probably at every level. Yeah, and uh, I do think it's entertaining. So at the very least, you get a several hours of Neil Gaiman entertaining you. Uh, Hey, man, thumbs up for me. I enjoyed it. Like Good. I say, I plan to watch it again. Good to go. Hey, favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you when new videos are uh, available. Uh, the vids are brought to you by the books that we make. And uh, before you is a very robust section of uh, the books that we have available uh, to begin. There's the Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus, uh, collecting all of my Hip Hop Family Tree works. It's the 10-year anniversary of Hip Hop Family Tree, 50th anniversary of hip-hop as a culture uh, the books are going quick the books are going fast and uh, they're flying off the store shelves so get it quickly uh, if you want it uh, in any sort of timely fashion not the only holiday effort We've got the trade paperback for the x-men grand design trilogy from marvel comics is going to be available in stores on november 14th got the comp copies of that uh, right now two trade paperbacks of red room are out there anti-social network and trigger warnings with a third coming to you called crypto killers in 2024 uh january jimmy what do you have street angel princess of poverty is my next release it'll be out at the end of november from image comics you should be able to get that wherever books are bought and sold it is a companion piece to street angel deadly scroll live also from image comics these two books Besides looking good on your shelf like a set next to each other, collect all of the Street Angel comics that I have made so far. So pick up both of those if you haven't already. I have been self-publishing True Crime Funnies. That's a collection of nonfiction stories. The 1986 zine celebrating the greatest year in comics history and the BW zine celebrating the black and white explosion and self-publishing boom of the 80s and early 90s. These are all available on patreon.com slash jimrug if you want to read them now. Otherwise, uh, Follow me and I'll let you know whenever they're available to buy from my website, jimrug.com. And Hulk Grand Design, my contribution to the Grand Design series. Um, I believe these are out of print, so pick it up if you haven't already whenever you see it in a comic shop. Um, these are disappearing fast and hard to tell when they'll be back. The books are the most important part of keeping the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel going. Uh, we are a daily YouTube channel with more than 1,500 videos uh, available to you right now. Give the channel a search. Uh, go on the front page. Hit the magnifying glass. Search for your favorite comics. Check out those episodes. If we did not talk about 
your favorite uh, comics let us know what they are in the comments and we will uh, push those comics a little bit higher on our uh, to read piles uh, the Patreon helps subsidize the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Uh, three different levels of participation there, but the King Kayfabers, the, you know, the top dogs, they get all the videos that we shoot before anybody else gets to see them. They're hanging out with us in the live stream uh, chat room right now as we are recording. And we always shoot a couple extra videos, at least one extra video. So uh, there's a big queue of videos that develop that only the Kings have access to before we release those, you know, later on down the line when Jimmy and I have to take a break or something like this. Uh, once again, the books are the most important part, but there are a few other ways to support the channel. Jimmy, let the people know. You can subscribe to the Cartoonist KFAB newsletter at the links below this video to keep up on what we have coming out and when. You can also pick up Cartoonist KFAB t-shirts, merchandise, hats, cups, mugs, stickers, and lots more of the Cartoonist KFAB enterprise <laughs> at our spread shop that link is also under this video so uh there it is we laid it out you have a uh, num num numerous ways that you can uh support the channel and keep these videos coming to you on a regular basis jimmy without further ado uh let's get out of here but first please give everybody their marching orders make more comics <laughs>